future. Father God, um, as we come into your presence tonight, um, we ask for focus. And we ask for honest, honesty. This is a hard talk. Um, Lord, I pray that we're honest with ourselves. And we're vulnerable with ourselves and with each other. I'm in your son's name. Amen. Okay, so if you've known me for any amount of time, which most of you have, I love history. I used to teach history to high school and middle school students. I'm the type of person that collects historical busts for Christmas every year. If I'm found in a Barnes & Nobles or a half-price book, if you see my car on the parking lot, just go to the history section. That's where you'll find me, checking out the new stuff. Uh, history has always had a really fun place in my heart. Um, along with a passion for history, I love historical fiction. Okay? In particular, I love British or English historical, historical fiction. So when we talk about the Canterbury Tales or the Tales of King Arthur um, and the Knights of the Round Table, Sherlock Holmes and Robin Hood and his Merry Men, uh, the Celt in me has a fascination with those islands. Uh, even as I was writing this talk, I was listening to Celtic music in the background. So it's just, just how I kind of work. Um, the Tales of Robin Hood have always been a personal favorite of mine. Uh, it's an aside, but if you ever want to borrow the Raven Trilogy, which is my favorite set of Robin Hood books by Stephen Lawhead, I have it. You can borrow it. Uh, just let me know. Um, it's my favorite Robin Hood tale. And like King Arthur, believe it or not, the assumption by historians is that there was an actual man behind the story of Robin Hood. While his name is probably lost to history and his deeds along with him, there is always a sense of reality found in his stories. The first mention of Robin Hood, H-O-D-E, is found in the ballads of the 14th century around 1375. Life and listen, gentlemen, that be of freeborn blood, I shall tell ye of a good ye man. His name is Robin Hood. One of my favorite characters in the tales of Robin Hood is that of Alan Adale. A late addition to the tales, probably the 15th or 16th century, he was a traveling minstrel that occasionally tell, tells the tales of Robin Hood. So in the 15th or 17th century, when these tales were being popularized, a minstrel was someone who was either worked full-time or for a season for a lord or lady in the Celtic islands. So a minstrel would be in the service of a duke or a duchess or a knight or a king. And some historians actually believe that Alan Adale is a real person. And although he didn't travel with the real Robin Hood, many believe that because he popularized the tales, they added him into the story later, which is just kind of cool. Um, while the tales of Robin Hood historically have changed over the years, the main tale that has come out of it in popular culture seems as follows. So this is the tale. Robin is a lord who is wronged out of his estate, whether from following his King Richard to the war and the Crusades, or wrestled from his hand by an evil, vindictive ruler because of a family issue. Either way, Robin is banished and finds his way to a group of merry men out in the woods. Men that do what they please without any thought or consequence. While the term rob from the rich and give to the poor is a very catchy bumper sticker, if you pay any attention to the story, it should say rob from the overtaxing government and give back to the people. Andrew Ridge, what does our favorite Facebook group constantly remind us of? Taxation is theft. Inside joke. And while Robin is seen as an outlaw, he is only seen to be a villain to a villainous lord who is trying to usurp the rightful king. He is the hero to those who helps and a hero in the eyes of the rightful King Richard. Made Mary and Little John, King John, the Sheriff of Nottingham, and Will Scarlet aside, the tale of Robin Hood is a tale of a man 
who lives for his king while in the kingdom of a wicked man, which has always sounded a whole life like the gospel to me. Robin just wanted justice for people. Robin wanted them to be totally devoted to the real king and was willing to risk his life for it. We like Robin, don't we? We like Robin. We see ourselves as totally devoted to our king and someone who willingly will dish out justice if it is so deserved. That's why we like Robin. We see the horrors of this world and desire for them to end. And as we turn to the Beatitudes in Luke 6, 20 through 26 today, so if you've got to your Bibles, turn to Luke 6, 20 through 26. Luke is the third book of the Bible, well, New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then 6 comes after 5 and before 7. And then in there, you will find verses 20 through 26. As we turn to the Beatitudes today, I wanted to bring up the idea of a kingdom in the form of the story of Robin Hood. Because I think we find it hard to live a kingdom life in the middle of a democracy. We vote in a democracy, mostly on how laws and rights will impact us individually. In a kingdom, we live and love the king, and therefore follow him wherever he may. Listen to the king as follows. This is the Beatitudes. And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven. For so their fathers did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. I'm going to spend some time on the first part of the verse, because if you understand the first part of the section then the rest falls dramatically into place. Okay? To start each section of our Lord's first recorded sermon, he uses one key word. Anyone want to guess what the key word is that he uses at the beginning of each phrase? Blessed. Blessed. Good job. Y'all can read. Excellent. You are almost SAT ready. Okay? Blessed. To bless. To be blessed. Anyone see that along on our Facebook walls this new year? I see a lot of stuff about this year, I'm going to be happy. This year, I want this to happen and it'll make me happy. Last year was bad. We lost so many celebrities. Next year, I'm going to be more happy. I see a lot about being happy in the new year. And I don't see a lot of desires to be blessed. Because if our goal is simply happiness, it will be fleeting. A lot of stuff will make you happy, but it won't fill that God-shaped hole in your heart. It'll only clog the path to get there. C.J. Ridgway writes, writing reminds us that God is a God of blessing. I love what he says here. A fitting text for his first Christ's first sermon. For he came to earth to what? To bless. His life was a life of blessing. His one thought, how he might bless others, make others happy. He died to bless. His arms outstretched on the cross, his hands open wide, told how he yearned to bless to the last. He rose to bless, 
And with words of blessing, he greeted those who mourned him in death, as dead. And when he ascended, he was still true to his work of his life. For the, for the last his disciples saw of him, as he disappeared, were his hands outstretched in what? In blessing. And still he lives to bless. On high he ever liveth to make intercession for souls. Here on earth he draws nigh to bless in every sacrament, in every act of worship, in every meditation, in every sermon, in each hour of prayer, always present by the Spirit. To what? To bless. God's idea of blessing us is present throughout his ministry and continues to be present in his ministry and all the means of grace that are afforded to us today. This is your first fill in the blank. I think the major difference between happiness and blessedness is that happiness is just for your cup to be full. While blessedness is for your cup to be so full that it overflows to fill the cup of others. I think the major difference between happiness and blessedness is that happiness is just for your cup to be full. While blessedness is for your cup to be so full that it overflows to fill the cup of others. Think again to our story of dear Robin Hood. He desired to be a blessing for all people, so he shared his wealth. But evil King John hoarded it up in his storehouses for his own uses. Robin might have spent a few nights on an empty stomach, but no one would have doubt he blessed. King John might have felt happy because he had everything he ever wanted, but he was not a blessing. So let's be real. When was the last time you were a blessing to others? When was the last time you were a blessing to others? Can you think of that time? If you can, how did that make you feel? How did it fill the cup of others around you? If you can't think of a time rather quickly, are you happy? A satisfying happiness that leaves you full? Or is it salt water? Is it false happiness, one that will only fill your own cup? But Jesus takes his blessings further. He doesn't just bless the king or bless those who deserve it. He blesses who? The Pope, the poor. Are you saying, AJ, that the only people who can be blessed are the people who live in the projects and receive a check from the government every month? Are you saying those are the only people that God can bless? No. Remember how we talked about this earlier in the Gospel of Luke. That the poor or poverty did not just refer to economic status in his day. It is those who are missing something. Their health, family, friends, community, money, love, joy. Those are the poor. Those are the poor. Those who are missing in those areas of life. But the poor wait by the gate to receive blessing. That's what they do. If they're poor, they wait in Jerusalem. They waited by the gate to receive something. The rich men of the day would just go to their next venture to get what they needed. Their next business, the next person who had the money. The rich are always on the move to maintain their wealth, to maintain their own kingdoms. But the poor stood by the gate, hoping that someone would place a coin in the palm of their outstretched hand. They hoped that someone would stoop down to their level and engage them in conversation. Would call them by name. They hoped someone would take pity. They would actively wait for help. They sought the kingdom. And hoped the blessings of the kingdom would overflow to their cups. And Christ satisfies and continues to satisfy them. It bothered me a lot the first time I went to Africa. 
and I worked with the people in the Kaveri slums. These were teenage boys that I was hanging out with who had lived and worked in the slum during the day, but at night when the gangs scoured the area for someone left outside their homes to steal or to rape, these boys huddled behind some of the only metal gates in the whole slum and slept together, about 12 of them in a 10 by 10 room. And the whole week I spent with them, there was so much joy. There was so much joy. They seemed happier and more content with what they had to endure in this life than I felt with a paid-for college experience where the biggest hardship I experienced was the lack of sleep because of a crazy schedule. And they weren't just poor. They had always been poor. It wasn't just a season of life. They had never known anything different. The poverty that Jesus refers to here is not someone who's just lost their job. Their poverty is a state of being. This being poor leads one to seek Jesus. And it isn't a one-time thing. Those boys in the slum could quote whole books of the Bible to me. And they were 12 or 13. They longed for Jesus and waited for him daily to fill their cup. So in the midst of their poverty, they would be blessed and be a blessing to others. But for us who have it all, I think, and I'm convicted of this, I think we only want enough Jesus that will make us comfortable. We only want enough Jesus that will make us comfortable. It's okay, H.A. already got Jesus. I don't need any more Jesus. I got my fill. Now I can move on to other things. How, how we talk like rich people. Not Jesus things, but things that, you know, have, don't have his logo in front of it. But I, I got enough Jesus. Being poor in spirit, as Luke says in the same section in his, oh, as Matthew says in his section, is sitting at the door of the temple every day and grabbing Yeshua's outstretched hand as he brings you into his kingdom. That's what it means to be poor here. It is a state of knowing that you always need more, and wanting more will leave your cup overfilled because Jesus never runs out of living water. So the next fill in the blank. Do you want more of Jesus, or are you satisfied with what you have of him? Do you want more of Jesus, or are you satisfied with what you have of him? Do you cry out with the impoverished, like the choir master in Psalm 84? How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to a living God. Even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young. At your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God, blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Say, Lord, do we long for more of Jesus and do we long for the kingdom? Or are we just satisfied? My directors would ask me when I did musical theater and in high school and college, well, this was one thing in college, why I was singing the song. Why are you singing a song? And I remember responding to Kelly, one director, with, uh, because it's in the script. That's why I'm singing the song. Uh, but, there was, but there needed to be more of a reason. I remember one director named Kelly demanding that I find a reason to sing. That it had to be more than words. Why? And I, I believe this is true. Because songs capture what words lack. Is that not the case? We all love music. And sometimes a melody just mm, gets it the way words would never 
capture it. It's like the song of our hearts. What is the song of our hearts? What's the song of your heart in this season? And guess what? Uh, scripture is filled with what? Songs. Songs. Tons of them. Because it fills where our words cannot. The reason we sing on church every Sunday morning is because it's supposed to fill the void that the hearts, that the words could not alone. The modern interpretation of the psalm that I just read to you is called Better is One Day by Matt Redman. It says, How lovely your dwelling place, O Lord Almighty, for my soul belongs and even faints for you. There's a yearning when we lift up our voice in song. A sense of being impoverished and needing more. Do you believe that? You know, when I pray for each of you, this is one of my prayers that I repeat regularly. And this is your next fill in the blank, but I don't want you to fill it in. And that is this, that you would not be satisfied with your relationship with Christ. And in that fill in the blank there, I just want you to put your name. Because that's many times how I pray it. That Grant would not be satisfied with their relationship with Christ. That Preston would not be satisfied with his relationship with Christ. That Sarah Ann would not be satisfied. But she would long for more. How quickly we serve King John when King Richard is away fighting the war. We don't wait upon the Lord. Not when there is the latest game or Netflix show or concept or test or concert or app. We don't long for the Lord because we are so easily entertained by, excuse my French, pointless crap. We don't have time to long for the Lord. But the king will return, and his kingdom shall reign forever and ever. And blessed are those who are poor in spirit and wait by the gates. The next two sections overflow from the first. Remember, if poverty is not about economics, then Christ is continuing the same thought here as he says this. Blessed are you that are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Hungry for what? There it goes again when I say that it's just not poverty. Hungry for what? Community? Relationship? Joy? Satisfaction? Free from fear? Do you hunger for those things? Direction. Some of you are at that spot. Lord, I hunger. I just want to... What do, what do you want me to do? What? Give me something. You, you, there's a hunger there. You will be satisfied. And blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. You ever been really hungry? There is a longing for food, an urge to partake. That again is the picture of Christ... That is trying to pain you. Active waiting on the Lord to provide. And to top it all off. He is saying that your pain. Your sorrow will lead to joy. You ever cry so hard. That you start laughing. You've been there. I've been there. So you get married. This happens. Okay. Just does. <laughs> but you're in tears with each other. Because you either just confess sin. Or you've just gone through awfulness. And you just can't help but laugh. So we're pregnant with Steve. We're driving home. It's the day after Thanksgiving. Nothing's open. We're in middle of the nowhere, Missouri. Okay? 
And what happens? Corey's eight months pregnant. The car breaks down on the highway in front of a Chester's chicken. <laughs> All I'm thinking is she's going to give birth on the side of the road here, and I will have no choice but to call my son Chester. <laughs> And we were weeping there. Because, like, what are we going to do? There's no garage open. And I don't know who said it. I, I'm sure one of us just looked over and was just like, well, you know, I could live with Chester. You know? And you, <laughs> you were crying so hard in the midst of the pain. And then someone thinks big picture again. And, you know, with moist cheeks, you're laughing. You ever weep so hard that suddenly you have, you're laughing, you're filled with that? You'll find a lot more of those in life. Joy will come, and you will overflow into the lives of others, much like experiencing a similar pain. The weeping found in this text is profound. Many commentators refer to it as a spiritual mourning. And this is what I want you to think of. Is seeing injustice in the world... And does it affect your soul? When you see injustice on the news, does it affect your soul? Or are instead, are you callous to the pains of others? You've, you've built up such a whatever on your soul that seeing others in pain, yeah. Is passing a homeless man on the street asking for money, is your heart moved to the place that you wishes you could help and not judge? That spiritual mourning. It's seeing children adopted, cancer overcome, soldiers returning home, and your heart is moved to joy. And it weeps for it. It's seeing the wretchedness of our own sin and weeping over its effect on our lives and the lives of others that we interact with. And it's seeing the love found in a Savior in spite of our sin and your heart being soft enough to respond. Is your heart soft? Or this is your next fill in the blank. What do you weep for? What do you weep for? Your sin, injustice, Or has your heart become so callous or guarded that you refuse to let the Lord work? In all of Robin Hood's tales, put to film, there's always a scene early in the movie where Robin Hood witnesses the pain of the peasants in the kingdom, but he is unable to do anything, and he weeps. He sees the injustice, and he's moved. In Africa, with those boys and with the girls from the orphanage who had or done, dealt with so much more. I saw many of them weep while we prayed and while we sang songs of worship in the mornings and evenings together. They understood their sin and because of it understood the love of their Savior and were overwhelmed. In my mind, they embodied this passage. So next fill in their blank. The poverty made them long for more. Their hunger made them active in their search, and their tears 
responded in thankfulness to a God who made full their longings. Their poverty made them long for more. Their hunger made them active in their search. And their tears respond in thankfulness to a God who made full their longings. So how do you live poor? Or as the Gospel of Matthew puts it, how do you live poor in spirit? These are three things, questions I want you to ask. First one is this. It's one of your fill-in-the-brains. It has one on it. Do you take risks in your life for the gospel, or do you seek comfort first? Do you take risks in your life for the gospel, or do you seek comfort first? To be blessed means to give up. I know it seems like an oxymoron. But what do you risk of your time, finances, and relationships that create gospel moments in the lives that you interact with? Or are you more concerned about being happy and comfortable? While we all wish we were Robin, we in Frisco are much more likely, I feel, to act like King John. Two. I don't like this one. Are you more concerned about your well-being or that of others? Are you more concerned about your well-being or that of others? Do you weep more when you lose something or when others lose something? Do you feel any pain for the injustice around us or do you make excuses for it? I know I do this all the time. Well, they got what was coming. They should have made better life decisions. If they only fell in the blank. I don't feel bad for them. Again, these are the excuses I'm making. I don't have time to help them. Or one of my favorite Presbyterian ones, okay? We're reformed, we're the frozen chosen, right? We wear that around like a badge. It's just not one of my gifts. God didn't make me an evangelist, or God didn't make me merciful. So clearly, I'm not called to do those things. I can't say amen, you want to say ouch. Amen. Or another one of my favorite Presbyterian ones. God is in control. He'll handle it. Is that wrong? Nope. But we make it an excuse and not an opportunity, right? Here's another one. Again, I'm preaching to myself just as much as I'm preaching to you. It's just not my calling. The phone's ringing. You picked it up. It might be your calling. It's the next fill in the blank. Too often we are too busy making excuses for our actions or inactions that we are willing to take actions. Too often we are too busy making excuses for our actions or inactions than we are willing to take action. We're all about action, as long as it possibly ain't mine. Someone should fix that. This is the other one. Because one, some of you might deal with it. Some of you might be people of action. But there's so much pain, AJ. There is so much injustice. So much sin, both in my life or theirs. What are we to do? What are we to do? 
Well, isn't that the question we should be asking God? Well, I don't think we even get there most of the time. What are we to do? But if you're like me, it's just easier to ignore it than to deal with it. My prayer for myself this new year is that I would see people, including myself, the way God sees people. That there would be more tears over my sin, more tears over the sins of others, more hunger for God's work, and more desperation for my poverty of actions that will lead me to watch him do what he does, which is to reconcile the world to himself. That's his, he's in that business. And I pray my heart softens to him and softens to the world. I hope that's for some of you the same prayer. Three, are you more concerned about being on King John's good side than King Richard's? Look, King John wanted to rule his own kingdom. In most versions of Robin Hood's story, he was massing an army to put King Richard off the throne. Likewise, we are very quick to try to take Jesus off the throne if it means our comfort and happiness are at stake. But if we are for the rightful king, then our lacking will be his strength because we know he is the one who fills our cups on ourselves. As we take this time, worship band's going to come up, we're going to sing some songs. As we take this time to sing before the Lord and to do what words alone can do, I pray that we pay attention to the words and I pray that we pay attention to the longing in our heart. And then we're able to throw off some of the callousness. Worship band, you can come up. Um, Zach, you're back up there. Um, so just know that we're going to take this time. We're going to do just that.